Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Awaken Indie Podcast through Georgetown Market. I'm your host, Aaron McNicholas. This week, we have Lauren Crum on the show, and we're going to continue our theme of women's health this month um, and have Lauren deep dive women's health in general, but also fertility, hormone balancing, and really importantly, her work as a doula. And Lauren really goes deep into being an advocate for moms in the hospitals, um, as well as the children, um, and help steward along that process. So I'm really excited for her to break that down for everyone. Um, just a reminder, if you can like, share, subscribe to the show so we can keep it going. Um, please also check out all of Lauren's, um, content, social media posts, uh, ways to connect with her so that we can support um, her work in the community. Um, and we can also support children. And I think, if I had to like distill down the message for today, that would be, you know, when a, a society stops investing in their children, um, they really stop investing in the society. And I think Lauren's work is really important in the sense that we have a lot of modern day interventions and we don't always know the complete side effects of that. You know, we don't always know the complete side effects that, you know, birth control, for example, might have or inducing labor um, could have. And Unfortunately, we've kind of created a monetary system, a business out of the birthing process where we want nine to five deliveries uh, Monday through Friday. We don't want to be inconvenienced by abnormal times. And, you know, the truth of it being, we don't really have an exact measurement. We have guesses and that can be hard for a marketplace. That can be hard for a business. And it's sad to see that that's where we've come to. Um, I think Lauren offers some great recommendations and ideas around this. Um, but I think she also offers some great recommendations as far as um, other unknown variables that parents might face. You know, there's important decisions to be made around um, whether or not we want to give vitamin K shots, for example. And, you know, it's a personal choice, but vaccinations are another big concern for a lot of parents, uh, as well as other things like circumcision and home birth versus hospital birth. And with this, you know, these are all just ideas. We don't know if there are the remedies to our problems nowadays, but that's always been the goal of the podcast is to connect to community, to share ideas and give out possibilities that could potentially help. And I think we live in a time where we're overfed, undernourished, overstimulated, and, you know, begging for more out of life. And these might be a solution to someone. And I hope it is. And I hope everyone enjoys Lauren's message today. Definitely connect with her if you can. And I hope you enjoy. I'm really excited for today's episode because we've been doing a Women's Health Month. And so I think today's guest can really help in that domain. And Lauren Crum has been a really great wealth of knowledge so far as we sit and talk before this. And so I'm excited to share her story today and what she offers to the community. So Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Well, so as we usually starts all the episodes, um, can you give a little background about kind of how your training's gone about and how you got interested in this field of work that you do? Yeah. So um, I went to IU. I have a bio degree from IU and a medical sciences minor. So originally thought that I would go the med school route when I graduated. Um, things took a turn though, and I didn't end up doing that. I actually got into financial services and was a financial advisor for close to seven years. And um, at around that time, things just weren't lining up um, in my life. I think that 
I, you know, I was living a life that wasn't mine. So I went through, if you will, a spiritual awakening and really um, had a lot of life shifts with my career, with where I was living, with my relationships, and just got back to looking at what made me happy and what was fulfilling for me. And that has always been such an interest in pregnancy and labor and delivery and just health overall. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is that, you know, I was so in tune with like the Western medical side of things. And then I was noticing that I wasn't really aligning with a lot of the things that I was hearing and seeing. And so that took me down the path of more of the functional, holistic, um, homeopathy. Homeopathy. Uh, homeopathy. Yeah. homeopathy I can't even say. <laughs> That's a hard word. Yeah. <laughs> um, took me down that route. And so uh, led me to kind of the path that I'm on now. So That's awesome. Well, it's, it's interesting whenever anyone goes to that change, you know, that kind of, we were talking about like the death of the old ego and the mm-hmm. death of that old life. And you've done some great trainings, it sounds like. You said the biodegree at IU. Mm-hmm. We'll have some of the other trainings because I know you do work as a doula. Yeah. So um, I started out, I think I did the doula training first um, because I was really looking at midwifery and was trying to decide if that was something that I wanted to do, um, Mm -hmm. which I would love to if I didn't have to go the nursing route. Yep. Um, But in Indiana, it's kind of that it's hard in Indiana to get certified and not go um, the nursing route. So I thought, how do I get into deliveries? And so the doula um, training was the first one that I did. And then I also got my integrative health practitioner certification. So I went through Stephen Cabral's program where he's combined um, seven different types of medicine and really just takes you through a whole process of the detox and understanding, um, you know, your chemical imbalances and resetting your hormones and the food and the exercise. So really total body transformation with that. Um, and then that led me into wanting to create a program where I'm helping women from preconception to postpartum. And so now fertility has been a topic that um, I know just in my friend group has been so affected by different things. So I was trying to look at different programs that I could do to be more natural on how we're rebalancing our bodies and not going directly to fertility treatments and some of these things that just they don't have a lot of success rates. Um, so I am finishing up my fertility coaching certification. So it's been amazing to kind of go through that route and, and tie it all together. So, yeah, we've done a lot of cool different trainings that give you like a broad stroke, uh, broad area practice. And so are there certain people that come to see you that you feel like most often? Um, so on the fertility side, I'm still, getting into like my niche of clients that I'm working with. But um, it's been a lot of women that have been struggling to get pregnant naturally. And they're kind of wanting to weigh their options before they go the IVF route or other fertility treatments because it it is so expensive. And I think the uh, success rate is around 30%, 35% for your first time. So um, with our program, we've had an 80% success rate of women getting pregnant. And I think with the turn of events that have happened the last couple of years, people are wanting to look at different options um, yeah. and really get to the root causes of issues as to why their health isn't where they want it to be. So it's been, um, yeah, women that have been struggling to get pregnant, but then two women that have had miscarriages as well. And they're just not sure as to why, you know, they can get pregnant, but why isn't their body supporting it? So in the fertility standpoint, those are the clients that I've been attracting. And then the doula world, um, it's interesting because I've worked like, with a hospital. And so those clients are, um, appointed to me. So 
but it is kind of crazy because a lot of them want the natural, a lot of the clients that I'm um, assigned to want the more natural route, which is not always the case with hospital clients. But um, the clients I've been attracting on the personal side, they really are wanting to go more natural, be connected to their bodies. And their main focus is just, you know, they want to change the birth experience rather than it, them being treated as um, a patient that is sick, because that's really how our, our, our medical system treats women that are pregnant. Um, and they're just really wanting to tune back into their pregnancy and make it really sacred and make this a, the sacred moment that it is. It is. And definitely. And I think if you look at more of the holistic or alternative modalities, Mm -hmm. it's amazing that they have a lot more safety, I think, behind them and they tend to be a little less expensive. And so it makes sense that like, why not try this first before maybe going down the more expensive route with medical interventions? Mm -hmm. You know, there isn't maybe a time and place for that. For sure. Um, But maybe just weighing out those options and seeing and sounds like you have a a wide variety of clients that can come see you for that. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, it it seems like it's a good environment for that. And it is a sacred process that Mm -hmm. you go through becoming a mother and becoming a parent and then steering that forward. Yeah. So working with all these different clients, do you think that you have like a mission statement for the world that you could put out there if you had like a billboard? This is like what I want to do with the world. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question because I think the last year or so I've been trying to tie it all together. And my goal is really just to help women from preconception to postpartum connect mm-hmm. back to their bodies and feel empowered to trust themselves in the process, which is huge with not only the fertility, but during the labor process, it's the more you can relax and like trust and surrender and it changes the entire experience. So I just, I want women to be able to experience that for what it is. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a a cool area to unpack because there is a lot of fear that comes up during that birthing process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, how do you relax? And so I think that'll be a great thing to talk about. Um, But before we maybe go down to that, you know, maybe let's get to maybe like what you're doing in preparation for a pregnancy. Yeah. And so you know, what things should people consider when they're thinking about becoming pregnant or working towards that route? Yeah. So our eggs take about 90 days to turn over. And so when you're thinking about getting pregnant, it's, I advise clients to just not start trying immediately. Mm. I think it's so important to, you know, take a look at your own health because we've all heard epigen the word epigenetics by now. And we really do have the power to like turn things on and turn things off in our body by what we're putting into it. So um, with my fertility clients, we're usually going through and doing like an elimination diet. We're doing a detox process. And even if they haven't struggled getting pregnant, like that is where I would start. I would say, you know, maybe stop drinking alcohol, stop doing, you know, any behaviors that really aren't great for your health. And Mm -hmm. then um, really just paying attention to like every day what what your environment is like. Yeah. How, what types of chemicals and toxins are you putting on and in your body, which that's a huge thing. Um, you know, the types of food you're eating, uh, you know, staying away from a lot of processed stuff, getting back to getting great nutrients that are so important from us, because I think the healthier we are, um, mind, body, and soul, the better we can set ourselves up for pregnancy and being able to carry a pregnancy to term. Yeah. And yeah, I think the elimination diet is a great idea because there are certain problematic foods like maybe gluten or dairy mm-hmm. for some people. Yep. Do you see any other sensitivities to any certain foods? Um, for everybody, it's really different. Yeah. Uh, but the sugar intake too is just huge with how much like processed food people are putting into their bodies. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think 
if people listened to the episode before this, we were with Taylor Jeffers, and she talked a lot about with PCOS and endometriosis. Mm -hmm. There's a big metabolic alteration that goes on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think those high-processed foods, high-sugar foods Mm -hmm. that have kind of gotten into our society and our diets can definitely, like, riddle that process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And that's probably a hard thing for a lot of people to kick and give up. Do you have a lot of people that kind of fight you on that? Or is it usually they're like, okay, let's go down this route? It it depends. Because everybody, I feel like, has to hit their breaking point before they're ready to make some serious changes. Because with, especially if they're struggling with infertility, this isn't something that you just do like a couple things and you're good to go. I mean, it really is a lifestyle change, which sets you up um, for your health overall. So you're not only making great decisions to try to get pregnant, but then you're changing your lifestyle as well. And I think that... People do struggle with it in the beginning because, I mean, our foods are engineered right now to keep us addicted. So, of course, if you're you're used to eating like Skittles or candy or whatever it is that has all this sugar and you eat like a strawberry, it's not going to taste as sweet. And so if it takes time to really like unprogram your body from a lot of these things to be able to settle back into a diet that's more natural for us and – I do think that there's a lot of struggle like within that time because, you know, they're going through the sugar withdrawals and it, and I've heard, you know, it's just not fair that I have to do this. But mm-hmm. then they're so – once they start seeing these changes that gradually are happening over time, they're like, I don't know how I did that before. So I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like once yeah. you know something, you can't unknow it. And yeah. once you see something, you can't unsee it. So that's no the – Yeah, they're kind of having like a death of that relationship with the um, – relationships that they've created around food so. yeah and those are very intimate relationships 100%. with that amongst like culture and that's been in our history for a long time yeah yep. and so that's a big process right there mm-hmm. and i think sometimes it's hard because we see all these different studies that come out on oh maybe you should do like fasting or this diet or that mm-hmm. diet but a lot of these studies are not done for women's health they're mm-hmm. a lot of times in men and they don't account for like the different menstrual cycle patterns that might be going through yep And so I think it's important maybe today if we talk about maybe this next talking point Mm -hmm. would be like, what are some things that you found helpful for maybe the different phases? Yeah. Um, One thing I do want to say, because this has been coming up more and more uh, in just the news and in headlines is talking about birth control. So, Mm. um, and I have a reason to kind of lead into that because so many women are put on birth control now for an array of reasons. I mean, I look back my 14-year-old self and I was put on the pill because I had heavy periods and I had acne. Mm-hmm. That's not a reason to be put on the pill. And so many women are starting their fertility journeys off um, on oral contraceptives. Yeah. And I didn't really realize what that was doing to your body until like I have not been on it for several years now, but it takes a long time to detox that out. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is, is that the the pill really depletes your body of so many nutrients that are vital to get pregnant and to keep your um, just reproductive health in check. And so a lot of women were starting over with that because they're coming off the pills. So there's so many nutrient deficiencies that we have to look at and we're kind of leveling out all those hormones prior to. So that is a journey in itself that, um, you know, I would advise people like if that's something that your doctor's bringing up, like start asking questions, like dig in a little bit more and see like if the reasons why you're getting on something like that is truly to prevent pregnancy or is it to treat other things that are going on with the body? Because we aren't talking enough about the effects down the line because so many women struggle with fertility and getting pregnant now. And, you know, they're not doing studies to show the correlation, but there has to be a correlation somewhere as to why 
this is becoming an issue now. So yeah, I wanted to say that because I've just I've had so many questions from clients like, did I do this? Like, did mm. was there something I could have done differently? And I just think it's important to be able to have those conversations. Not saying that we're like anti, because I think again we should all have sovereignty over our own bodies to decide Definitely. what goes into them. But I think that we need to be able to have these conversations with providers and have the information on the other side of it of what it could set up our fertility journey like later on yeah i think it's a great point because for some people it might be a good option but Mm -hmm. for others you know that might cause some deficiencies and if i'm not mistaken it it causes a large spike in a lot of the different hormones yeah and it's kind of to an artificial level Mm -hmm. that we don't really sustain naturally and so that can be hard to come off of and absolutely i think it's a good idea to consider that if you're thinking about becoming pregnant mm-hmm. um it's definitely maybe something to eliminate or at least like you know yeah. change your relationship detox around. rebalancing yeah and it, it it takes a little bit longer than like a three-month window to do that it's yeah. you know it's it's a journey it's a journey coming off well it kind of sounds like you know if you're thinking about becoming a pregnant it's not just like all right we'll start tomorrow mm-hmm. you're thinking about this like months yeah in advance. yep i would and for and that's not the case for everybody i mean some people come off the pill and they get pregnant right away um interesting but yeah, and then you just never know like if there's complications or if there's different things showing. There's nothing to tie it back to that, but it's just it is a good idea if you're thinking about starting a family like give yourself a year to like get your body back in check before yeah. you start putting all the pressure on yourself of I'm not getting pregnant, I'm not getting pregnant because that seems to become a wide theme of like hey, we've been trying for 3 months. And the reality of things 3 months isn't that long of a time, especially when you can only get pregnant a certain amount of days per month. Yeah. Um, and if your body isn't even ovulating or doing the things that it needs to, you know, it's it's going to take a lot longer for your body to balance everything out on its own. So Definitely. Yeah. And so I think that's a great place to start. And so then now we go into the different phases of the cycle. Yeah. Do you find different things that might be helpful for those different phases? Yeah. So you're in your follicular phase, doing like the lemon water every morning is great. Like on an empty stomach, it helps to kind of eliminate some of those old hormones that are in there because a big thing you want to do is not recycle hormones. So we want to be mm-hmm. like flushing our system. So lemon water in the morning um, and then the flaxseed cocktail so the ground flaxseed is really better than just doing the whole. And then you can do that with eight ounces of water and that mimics the estrogen. It helps like rebalance hormones. So that's a great thing to do um, during that phase. And then again, like balancing your diet with things that already have like these nutrients in it. So like kefir, broccoli sprouts, probiotics um, that helps your liver to process these hormones. And really that's what we want to do is just help our body, support our body in the um, – elimination of some of these things that need to be moved out yeah definitely i think that's a great idea with our liver because we have bile and that usually is used as an elimination tool Mm -hmm. but then yeah like you said the recycling of different hormones and i found that bitters help a lot of people with a lot of different areas we think bitters like yeah digestion yep but they can help in you know bowel movements hormone regulation Mm -hmm. even like mental clarity because we're actually detoxifying in a way um, and I notice a big energy shift if I don't have things like lemon water or mm-hmm. my bitters to kind of help with that. Yeah. And so I think that's a great recommendation. And broccoli sprouts too, we talk about that helping with um, hormone regulation as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a huge nutrient dense food in itself. Yeah. So I think that's a great recommendation. Yep. And again, that's just like scratching the surface with each client. So with the fertility program that I take clients through, like we're meeting weekly and we're like really tapping in and honing into like what the specific recommendations are for them based on their prior health conditions, based on their goals. So that these are just like, you know, blanket statements that are good for everybody to kind of consider when they're going through the journey. Yes. 
Um, and then uh, the luteal phase, we're really focusing on, again, detoxing those hormones out. Your progesterone levels are rising, and um, it's a good time to focus on like healthy fats, magnesium-rich foods, um, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds. There's a lot of studies on seed cycling, too, the different mm-hmm. – um, how you can incorporate that. And, um, again, it's like – You've got to – I don't think it's something that you just do for like a month. I think it takes a couple months to really get everything back on on track. But that that is so huge on too, tuning in with what your menstrual cycle is actually like because it should be a 28-day cycle for most women. But I it's very hard to find women that that's actually the case. Um, and it's because our hormones are – when we do hormone testing, sometimes like, well, it's in normal levels. But it's like, you know, our, we've got to really hone it in. Well, with that, would you recommend something like maybe a cycle tracking app or some of these other modalities? Yeah, I think it's really important to start tracking because if we don't know how long our cycles are, ideally 28 days is is the like benchmark for a cycle. Um, but it, that can range for different differently for different women. So if you're not sure, you know, when you're ovulating or you don't even know how to tell if you're ovulating, it's hard to know when you're in these different phases and how to support it um, with the correct nutrients. So I would start just tracking and it may be you know, one month you'll be this way, one month it'll be 28, one month 36, you just never know. Um, so yeah. like getting a, an idea of where that is, then you're able to kind of hone in on when you may be in your luteal phase and your follicular phase and then start going from there. And then as you start paying attention to these nutrients, that should too help correct and shorten the cycle or lengthen the cycle, whatever your cycle may be to kind yeah. of regulate it with um, your body's natural rhythm. Yeah. I think that's a great point because it makes sense why it takes so long. Because if you go through one cycle and you're like, wow, that was a lot shorter. And I'm used to these longer periods. Um, you might be like, yeah, because it was my diet. And I changed this and there's a big effect. But you might have to go through multiple different mm-hmm. cycles before you even notice that. Yeah. And so it makes sense why it might take like months to years to even think about having, you know, that conception. Yeah. And so kind of in the beginning, you mentioned that infertility is a big thing that's growing and it is becoming much more common Yeah, and it can be on the male side or the female side. And so it's important for both partners to kind of have that open dialogue that, well, we both maybe need to help our health and our diets and many different things. Do you think that there's anything that might be causing that per se, like environmental toxins? Oh, hundred percent. Um, so, uh, I mean, where do we even start? It seems like everything now we got to protect ourselves from. Oh, I know. Yeah. Are there like daily things like maybe like body care products that you see a lot? Yeah. So everything has toxins in it. Um, And a lot of them are hormone disrupting toxins. So plastic, if you're drinking out of a lot of plastic water bottles, I would eliminate those. I would start using glass bottles, um, Tupperware, same thing there. Um, As you know, our skin is our largest organ. So like what you're putting on it, and there hasn't really been a focus until as of lately that like our skincare products and our beauty industry is not regulated. Mm -hmm. So paying attention to what type of lotion you're using, your shampoo, your conditioner, um, really anything that you're putting in and on your body should be looked at. And again, it's a lifestyle change. I know that when I started, I was like, this is so overwhelming, but I kind of took it one area at a time. So, Mm. you know, I looked at my, my skincare stuff and then I started looking at my cleaning stuff and, and then, you know, trying to eat more organic and being conscious of like the chemicals that are sprayed onto our foods and where I'm getting my food from. So it's, yeah, I think you need to take it in chunks, but that is the lifestyle is huge on, Yeah. yeah, supporting our health. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, like, the common day-to-day, day-to-day things like, you know, laundry detergent, uh, mm-hmm. your deodorant, 
lots yep. of different things. The foods that you eat, the water that you drink. Water is a huge one, yeah. I, I cringe sometimes when I see outside like the plastic water bottles that are in the sun all day, just mm. baking. And it's just like, ugh, what is in yep. that stuff? Um, and that could be definitely one of the big things that could inhibit yeah. a healthy pregnancy. And so it's, it's hard to make like that list of all these different oh, things. Yeah. And that's what makes it hard as I think a practitioner is you almost want them to come like live with you. <laughs> you do. It's like, are you committed to a whole lifestyle change? Oh, I know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's hard to figure out where to begin. Um, but if someone was thinking about like rebalancing their hormones after, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a long period of using oral contraceptives or drinking plastic water bottles, mm-hmm. would you just say it's like start slow and do like the diet first yep, and then add them some things in? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Just start slow. And like two, it's, I mean, just getting back and making food more of like a ritual and like sacred practice. I know some people would laugh about that. But if we think about when we eat, a lot of us are just like stuffing food and it doesn't matter like what we're eating, where mm. it comes from. And when we – it does take a little bit more time to be conscious of what you're eating. And then, you know, meal prepping can help with that because if you're taking a day, a week, and you're being conscious of the food you're buying, how you're preparing it, then you – it takes kind of the stress off of it for the rest of the week. And yeah. then you're not getting – super hungry and reaching for like, you know, processed food or a candy bar, this or that. And it really helps you stay on track. So I would for sure start with your diet and, and to like water is so huge. We don't talk about that enough. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff in tap water that shouldn't be in there. A lot of chemicals. Um, and it, it's hard for us to stay hydrated too, if we're getting, going the other route and we're doing like reverse osmosis or some of these other things. And we're not adding minerals back into our water because then we're not, really hydrating it's so those are two huge things to pay attention to well i think yeah if you're thinking fertility like they've even found in tap water like contraceptive yeah like remains and stuff like that and so um if you're trying to get pregnant i think water is a huge thing huge and it influences you know i just read a book on cancer treatment Mm -hmm. and how they really find you know that that extracellular matrix is really a huge dysfunction in cancer and how structured water is really a big influence on creating and maintaining that part of the cell. Yeah. And so I think it is something to consider with everyone trying to get maybe spring water, mm-hmm. something that's in glass, um, maybe RO water that you add minerals back to or mm-hmm. you know, a pinch of salt. And yep. maybe even that lemon water that you mentioned earlier yeah. could be a big part of that. Well, before we move forward, is there anything else that someone might consider in that preparation phase? So the nervous system is another huge key that I don't think that we talk about enough, which you know, in the past couple of years, it's more attention has been brought to it with just how stimulated we are with being on our phones and just all of the stressors that have come on. Um, but if our, so our body, if we are in fight or flight, which back in the day, like that used to kick on if we were, you know, fighting for our life, if we're running from a predator and then we'd go back into the parasympathetic and we'd be in rest and digest and our cortisol levels wouldn't be so high. But nowadays we operate predominantly in the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. And when we are in that, it, you know, you're in survival. So your body is shutting down um, other areas or taking energy from other areas. So it's not functioning as it should. And so when women are trying to get pregnant and they're stressed out because they can't get pregnant or they, you know, they're worried about their jobs, they're worried about this, they're worried about that, and they're not taking any time to kind of sit with themselves and connect and to have some time where they unplug, it's going to be very hard to conceive because Mm -hmm. if we don't have that system 
or don't have any energy to allocate to that system, that's a lot of times why we see miscarriages too. So you can get pregnant, but that your nervous system is not regulated enough to even like support a pregnancy to term. So that is huge, huge, huge. Um, and it is very hard to relax when you're trying to get pregnant. So I think it just comes back to doing different things to kind of manually reset our systems. So if people are familiar with cold therapy, um, you know, you've seen people do like cold plunges that really helps us connect back to our breath and like really makes your system. That's a a drastic way. And most people would be like, I'm not doing that, but it is one way to very quickly notice how your system changes. Um, another like daily practice is just going out and putting your feet in the grass, like get grounded, take a couple of deep breaths and just feel how it feels to set all the stuff down because most people aren't doing any of this. Um, breath work is another great thing. Um, even just like exercising to, for stress relief rather than, Hey, I've got to do this mile at this time and I've got to look this way. It's Mm -hmm. sometimes taking a walk. And just connecting back without your headphones and without, you know, running through like all of your to-do lists. But we have got to take some time where we are shifting back into that parasympathetic because it's not only for fertility, but it's a huge reason as to why so many people are getting sick as well. Because we are just running. Think about if you're driving a car and you're like running in the highest gear at all times. Like eventually that car is going to be like that. We can't operate at this anymore and it's going to shut down. And that's where we're getting to like a lot of these chronic diseases. Um, and I just, I think that needs to be a huge, huge shift with that, not only for our physical health, but our mental health as well. well I'm glad you brought that up before we go down the, the birthing process. Cause yeah, that's, that's huge. If we can find a way to get maybe more parasympathetic, more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And there is some cool, I think things coming out of cold therapy mm-hmm. with like Wim Hof. Yes. Some I love that. Stuff. Yep. Um, and it does it. I noticed like if I wake up and my digestion doesn't feel right, or I feel really tired, if I go take a cold shower, mm-hmm. um, even if it's the last little bit of the shower, it kind of just gives you a great mood boost. Yeah. But then it resets everything. Yep. And yeah, I think that's a great recommendation. So we've got the diet, we've got the elimination, kind of the death of the old lifestyle yep. <laughs> in a way, if you will. And now we're ready to kind of maybe go in more in the birthing process. But there might be people that are not familiar with some terms. So if someone's not familiar with a doula, what is that? Yeah. So um, a doula is someone who assists a family uh, through, usually it's like their second trimester is when they hire a doula. Um, some people, if they already know about it, they're like, as soon as they get pregnant, they're, they're hiring someone, but we provide not only emotional support, but physical support and then education. It's almost like a birthing coach in a way. So, um, I'm meeting with clients. We have two prenatal appointments prior to giving birth. And during those, we're just talking through, If they've had children before, like, what was your birth like? What did you like? What did you not like? Is there anything we need to unpack from that? Um, And then where we talk about different options. And a lot of people just don't know all the options there are and what you're allowed to actually say yes to, what you're allowed to say no to. Because in the system right now, it's kind of, it's been, you know, we trust the provider and whatever the provider says goes. I think we're all kind of coming on board that we need to have some education in our back pocket now to be able to make our own decisions with the provider. So it should be really like a team approach. Yeah. Um, and, and not based out of fear either, because so many of the decisions in the birth world are out of fear. So like you need to be induced if you haven't, you know, if you're over 40 weeks or, you know, you need to use Pitocin to get labor going or you need to all these things. And, um, 
a lot of women weren't, weren't asking why. And mm. so having a doula, you're having this open-ended conversation where, you know, you're able to see both sides of the coin. Like, here are your options. Like, what you know, you could do a natural birth. You could do a medicated birth. Here's what that looks like. Here are the pros and cons. Here are some of the things that you maybe want to consider. And when you're able to have open and honest conversations with women like that where they feel safe, you start to see – them shifting more naturally and intuitively wanting to like lean into their bodies. So, um, I'm there to hold that space and answer questions and send resources. And that's all the stuff like prior to we walk through a birth plan. So ideally that's another thing that I hear that just makes me kind of like cringe when doctors like you have a birth plan like that, you know, you can't predict a birth. It's actually shocking when you do. It's, I mean, it's like your life. Mm-hmm. If you you can't plan every single thing, but if you know what you want, we tend to be able to manifest and like go down a route that is you know kind of in line with that if it's what's right for us. So, same thing with a birth plan. Knowing your options, you're not walking into a situation where you're making decisions out of fear. Like at least you know we've talked about it and we have an outline and we can adjust if things go differently, which sometimes they do. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, the atmosphere is a lot more calm and like uh, cohesive with what the clients want rather than not having any plan and going in and not know. It's like chaos if you don't um, because you just, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So we're talking through that. And then, um, yeah, I'm just constant support up through. So I get questions all the time. Like, is this normal? Is this normal? And I'm just able to send resources for them to make the best decisions for them and their family. And then when Bert, when labor starts, I get a text and then whether they're laboring at home or they're having a home birth or the hospital, um, I come in when they need support and I'm helping them. Um, my gosh, there's so many different things, but, uh, helping them navigate not only like the physical piece of it. So what are we doing to open up the pelvis Mm -hmm. to help baby navigate through? Because it really is, there's a lot more to that than what people think. It's not usually when you go into the hospital, the nurse comes in and checks on you and she may flip you from side to side, but there are different, um, positions and things that we have to do depending on where the baby's at in the pelvis to help open that pelvis. So there's a lot of education behind what needs to happen. And a lot of times when labor stall, that's a huge thing is the baby's, there's just not room or a position needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And rather than going to like, Hey, we need to do a C-section cause you're not progressing. No, we just need to do a lunge here or a squat here or a peanut ball because when we manipulate that pelvis, we're opening it up at different angles. And depending on where the baby's at, it's got to be right or we're not creating room. So um, my intention with that is to help like labor flow as smoothly as we can and avoid as many interventions as we can because most of my clients are like, I don't want a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some do use pain management, which is fine. You know, there's a time and place for all of it. But then I have a lot of clients too that are really focused on a natural route. So how are we progressing labor? How are we staying on top of our breath? And, you know, what kind of support do they need to feel safe? And so that's where I come in as like a team member with the husband. And and if they don't know how to do some of this stuff, then they can show up in the best way that they can to support their partner. And that's amazing because they have their bond and I'm just helping move things along as they need to go. Yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And I love that because it sounds like you're working with them in a very intimate time. Yeah. And you're kind of like this great support system. And if I was going to go into a hospital, you know, that might be a scary setting for me. Absolutely. And having someone that I've been working with and has my best interests in mind that can help break those things down can be a really helpful thing. Yeah. And 
So when you're working with clients, do you feel like you mostly work with brand new mothers or maybe mothers who have gone through a miscarriage? Mm -hmm. What do you see mostly? Um, it's all across the board. Okay. So, uh, it's, I've kind of had like, uh, some similar numbers this year with moms that are new moms and then like second or third time moms, because Mm -hmm. usually if they go through the birthing process once and now their eyes are kind of open to like, whoa, I wish I could have done that a little differently or I didn't know, or say they had a cesarean and they want to try a vaginal birth and it's just, it really just depends. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's different too, because a lot of, you know, with the first time moms were addressing, a lot of different concerns because it is the unknown with moms that have done this a time or two. They're like, okay, I really want to, I know what I want now. So that's really cool as well to see that happen. So. Yeah. And, and having a birth plan is probably helpful too, because it helps with that guidance. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it changes a lot too, as you're working with them. Yeah. Um, it kind of can help them probably feel more comfortable with having you know, your presence and a plan going forward. For sure. And so when someone goes through a C-section, mm-hmm. there is some concern sometimes about like the, vaginal bacteria not passing Mm -hmm. you know over them yeah is there anything that you recommend for women that maybe had to go through a c-section so they can have vaginal swabs done Mm -hmm. again they're not going to offer this at the hospital this is something where you need to do your own research and be your own advocate and that's a lot that i work with clients too is like you've we got to work on advocating for ourselves because it's great that i'm there but that's not really my place to speak on your behalf it's to educate you to do that so the vaginal swab that's something that you can do and introduce that bacteria or like into your you know baby's mouth just so they because they get so much of that when they're coming through the birth canal and that really helps set up their immune system um that's one and then with the c-sections in the past where if you don't have a doula sometimes they haven't offered like skin to skin in the or you can absolutely do skin to skin immediately you can breastfeed immediately if you have support in there to help that happen um yeah how important is that initial skin to skin contact it's, it is so important because that baby, I mean, it's coming through, it's coming through a portal, you know, a whole nother world. It was like yeah. in there and, and now it's like, it's nervous system. It's seeing all these lights. It's, you know, cold and being able to like be back on your chest and feel that warmth and hear your heartbeat that it's heard for nine months. It's much more calming to their nervous system. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it helps calm them down a lot more. And the breastfeeding too, it's like, Sometimes it's hard to get a latch like right away in those first moments. You've got a lot going on, but even just like being on your chest, like it helps with your oxytocin levels and just so many different wonderful health benefits of, of having that happen. Like you don't have to have all the vitals done right away that in the past, it's like whisk the baby away unless baby's having like trouble breathing or something like needs to be done. All checks can be done on you. And that really has become, um, thankfully like standard practice for most hospitals. Yeah. And then another big concern is maybe going through a medicated versus unmedicated birth, or Mm -hmm. if you get some pain medicine during that process, are there things to consider? Like maybe you had to get some pain interventions during that. Are there things after the birthing process you might say, Oh, that might come up. That maybe caused a deficiency or grogginess or something? Yeah. So with the epidural, um, you know, epidural can cause like your blood pressure to drop. So um, it can increase nausea, which, you know, that nobody really wants to be like throwing up as they're giving birth. But that can happen normally too. So a lot of times when I see women going through transition – and that's that last phase from like seven to 10 centimeters, you can see it. They kind of get nauseous. Their hormones start flooding. Um, they start to get the shakes. All of that stuff can be intensified by an epidural. Um, 
And it can also make, you know, baby a little groggy. It can slow down labor too. Um, But there's some benefits too. So say if I've had a mom that has been in labor for a really long time and she just doesn't have the energy or she can't relax, there's some benefits in bringing an epidural on board then too. It's just, it's, it's different for every situation. And I think that weighing like the pros and cons of what you want is, um, is really important. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you mentioned and brought up earlier was Pitocin. Mm -hmm. For those that are not familiar with Pitocin, what does that do? So Pitocin is the synthetic version of oxytocin. And so when we go into labor, our body, our brain knows that. So everything is, when we're naturally going into labor, everything is on board. Um, in the scenario of an induction, which, ugh, the induction rates right now, it just, it makes me sick because mm-hmm. they're, unless it's medically, medically needed, I would suggest every woman to revisit that situation because it's so much harder on the body. And a lot of times Pitocin is used to induce. And so what oxytocin does when it's let down naturally, it causes your contractions to start. And so it's very natural how that and gradual, how it starts increasing with Pitocin. Um, your brain isn't on, your brain isn't in labor and Pitocin doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. So Mm. it forces your uterus to start contracting, but your brain isn't on board that you're actually in labor. So these Mm. Pitocin causes your contractions to be a lot more painful. So women that are trying to go the natural route, it makes it really, really hard. And then at, at some point when your body does finally catch on that we're in labor, now you've got your body producing its own oxytocin and that can make contractions like on top of each other where women aren't getting a break because usually you're getting you're having a contraction and then you get a break and then a contraction and then a break. But if your system is kicking on at the same time as the Pitocin, you can get coupled contractions and that can be a lot of stress on the baby. And... Um, it just you have a higher risk of a cesarean too when you start down that pitocin route because you just don't know how the baby's going to tolerate it and it's you know it's a synthetic hormone that you're introducing. Yeah, well, it sounds like then there's a separation of the mind and the body mm-hmm. when you go through that, and that can yep. be a very hard thing to go through. And I think that's good information for people to have, just knowing that there might be these side effects or these complications mm-hmm. that arise and what it actually does. Yeah. Um, before you even go into that process. Yep. And there's so many more natural ways that we can stimulate that. So um, when I hear like women, because usually that's not the first step. Usually with an induction, they place what's called Cytotec or Cervidil, which is um, a capsule that they insert vaginally to help your cervix efface, which just makes it softer so you can dilate. Mm -hmm. So that's usually like the first 12 to 24 hours is that. And it causes like mild cramping. And if your body still doesn't kick in and understand, hey, we're trying to start labor, that's when they usually introduce Pitocin. Mm-hmm. But you can do other things. So you could use the breast pump. So putting the breast pump on, that stimulation causes your body to produce oxytocin, which then can start contractions on your own. So um, that is always my first go-to. It's like if we have to do one intervention, if, if you do need to be induced, let's try, you know, there's a, the balloon method you could use. There's so many different things that you can do prior to starting Pitocin. Mm-hmm. And I just wish more women knew. And I wish that they knew that they're not on a clock. Yeah. You're not on the hospital's clock. Unless yeah. your membranes rupture, your water breaks, then they ideally like you to deliver within 24 hours. But even then, you have time. And mm-hmm. so it's just, I think it's important to ask questions and having a doula helps with this because then you're like, oh, I, you know, I hear moms all the time. I didn't know that I could ask that. I didn't know that I could ask to wait. I didn't know that I could ask for another alternative. So 
it's interesting that in society, I feel like we have these rules that we think that are there, mm-hmm. and we have them kind of like superimposed upon us, and we're kind of afraid to push those barriers sometimes. Yeah. But it can be freeing when you have that, and having someone that can help you push them together is important. Yeah. And for people who don't know, like what oxytocin is, it is like a magical hormone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that pair bonding hormone. Um, I think it's released during sex as well, yeah. and so. It's a really important hormone, and especially it's largely influential in the birthing process mm-hmm. that we just found out. And so definitely being aware of medications that interfere with that or adjust that in any way is a big thing. Yeah. And so when someone's going through labor and also their pregnancy, mm-hmm. I know you're a big fan of talking about like the energetic perspective behind that. Well, it might be some things that yeah. come up behind that. So um, one thing that I found, because I do a lot of the energetic and spiritual work too. And and that's not, doesn't come on board for every client. It Mm -hmm. just depends on the situation. Um, But I found that, you know, a lot of times we have blocks from old trauma. So say I have clients that have struggled with miscarriage and they haven't been able to like fully grieve. Um, They blame themselves for what is happening. And then that creates trauma in the body. And when we store trauma in our body and we don't actually work through it, it starts to manifest as like physical ailments. So then, you know, the inability to conceive after having a miscarriage. So I think that it's important to um, work with someone or just take the time yourself to unpack what has happened and be really present in it because there's a lot of um, emotions sometimes that we aren't even recognizing. They they show up as different things. Um, like for instance, like anger is never, it, that's a secondary emotion. Usually behind anger, there's a lot of other emotions that are primary to feeling that. Yeah. Um, so I would just advise people to, to feel what they need to feel. Um, especially if they've gone through loss or if they're struggling to get pregnant and they're frustrated, it's, we've got to have an outlet to really get those emotions out. Um, because they can create energetic blocks and those sometimes can be just as big as the physical health-related blocks that we're dealing with. Well, I imagine with some of that birthing trauma, there's also sometimes like, I think like a familial trauma. Like Mm -hmm. maybe there's been like a succession of like maybe different abuse or maybe different, um, maybe that that block, like you mentioned, going on in a family. And so it it might not be something that you're even doing yourself. Mm -hmm. It might just be something from your parents or their parents. Yeah. And I think there is something powerful about when you make this choice to maybe set up a healthy pregnancy maybe like creating a succession you're creating something healthy for your kids and then they can create something healthy for their kids yeah and then all of a sudden you're creating this you know impact that goes beyond just you yeah and i think we need more of that in the world where we're you know saying things up so that there can be generational success Mm -hmm. instead of generational trauma yeah yeah we're shifting the paradigm because it Mm -hmm. starts with you know it's just the person that is is ready to do the healing because i mean like you know i have stuff from my parents that i've decided like hey it stops here. And mm-hmm. with that, that's a lot of my moms are doing that as well. It's like, you know, this is how it's always been, but I don't want that for my child. So what can I do to start shifting that mindset? Um, and like you said, with birth, like if there's trauma that has happened in the past and they don't feel safe in their bodies, there are little triggers that can really turn these things on and they can be so subtle. Um, you know, how we deal with pain. Like I have some clients that work really well with like focusing into their breath and breathing through it and you can see them physically relax. That's another huge piece with birth. With a contraction, it's super painful. It can be super painful. And to be able to go to that breath and then relax into that pain, 
man, I have labors that go so quickly. And yeah. you can you can physically see like the fighting of it. So like the clenching of the jaw, the raising of the shoulders, the the it's your body fighting that's an emotional response fighting back to that pain that's actually working to bring that baby down and if there are things like sexual abuse or anything um from the past where they don't feel safe or they're triggered in that environment that can cause that woman to not feel safe to release and surrender the control aspect around birth which you know and just like in life we really don't control anything but especially in that moment it's you know, the vulnerability that comes up and like the need to be really held safe to experience birth however you experience it is so crucial. Yeah. And it's funny, but right before we came to do this interview, I was reading a paper on pain perception Mm -hmm. and breath work. And there was a study that they took people who meditated for more than a thousand hours Mm -hmm. and they found that they were able to tolerate pain differently. Their perception of pain was a lot different and it's rewiring so the neural network in your brain. 100%. And it, they said that it mostly came down to the breath work that they were doing with the meditation that largely influenced that. And so, yeah, if you can go through a labor process, I imagine the breathing is a huge part of that. It's It, it, it holds everything together. Mm-hmm. Your breath is single-handedly the most important thing. Because when I'm working with clients, that is the one constant. It's big inhale through your nose. We're exhaling and we're just getting through one contraction at a time. When they start to get to a point where they're tensing up, they're holding their breath, they're hyperventilating, they're screaming, which I'm fine with like letting noise out. But there's different noises that too are like therapeutic with like calming your nervous system and like, you know, your vagus nerve, all those things that come into play. But when we get out of control with our breath, that's when we lose control of the pain. So mm. not, it really is like it switches. It, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how different it would be if women gave birth in gyms rather than in hospitals. Mm. Because think about how much pain we are willing to go through if we're like training for a marathon or for finishing a hard workout. Our brain calculates that and understands that so much differently because we're being supported through it. It's a natural mm. thing. But what has happened with labor and delivery and birth, it's been like shifted into this, like we're sick, we need to be saved from this pain. And so women are already going into it so scared of the pain rather than being empowered to work with that pain and regulate it through, you know, the breath work and positions and doing different things like that, that I really, um, that's a huge goal of mine is to be able to shift that perception so women can feel empowered and safe enough to like trust their bodies and breathe through stuff. Yeah. Well, that's interesting as a society, what forms of pain we celebrate in athletics is definitely yeah. a form that we are like, yeah, let's do it. Like push harder, push harder. But yeah, we have this fear. I think when we have to go to the hospital, like pain is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how that comes up in our society and our relationship to it. Cause you know, life entails a certain level of pain. And so we all have a relationship to it, mm-hmm. but how do we go about handling that? Yeah. And I think our, like our, area that we're going through that pain can be a large part of that and so with someone going into labor you know a home birth versus a hospital birth could be a a big consideration Mm -hmm. are there things that you see around that in itself the environment is just so different and especially even to home birth to a hospital midwife to an ob the approaches are just very different and with a home birth we are you know we're not preparing you know uh, clearly things Things can happen. Mm -hmm. Things can always happen. But we're going into it with the mindset that our body can handle it and we're going to take it one step at a time and we're going to trust the birthing process, which 
I, you know, I've, I follow so many of these amazing women that are really changing the landscape of birth. And that has been a huge theme that's been talking, that's been talked about. And it's yeah, trusting what our bodies are capable of. And if you're not in a position to where you're being inundated with different interventions or pain medicines or this or that, and you're surrounded by a group of people that are supporting you fully, you're able to trust yourself more too, because you've got a group of people that are behind you really like supporting everything that you need. So it's, it's a really different experience. But I think if that's not your thing, having a doula in a hospital setting is a great way to bridge that gap because you're mm-hmm. getting, you're getting both sides of it. And, you know, I'm never going to say that, you know, some of these medical interventions aren't necessary because they are, but at least you feel supported enough to make a decision based out of like trust with yourself and like knowing rather than we need to do this right now because this is the only option because that's, you know, within life, you make decisions based out of fear, or based out of love. Yeah. Usually if we make decisions out of fear, we're, it's not often the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it gives the locus of control back into the person, mm-hmm. I think, which is important rather than relying on someone outside of us to tell us what to do always. And yeah. it, it creates that efficacy in ourselves. For we sure. can take care of ourselves. So we went through preconception. Yep. And with the birthing <laughs> process. Now there's a lot of things to consider post-birth. Yes. And so if someone went through labor, what might they might be depleted in after that birthing process? Um, so you lose a lot of blood typically. Um, and I won't say like a lot, like you lose a sufficient amount for going through, um, labor and delivery. So anemia is like a thing to, to look out for. And so we have to think about with pregnancy, we're passing a lot of things on to the baby. And so that's depleting our levels of things. So, um, B vitamins, magnesium, zinc, selenium, all of those things can be depleted after giving birth. Um, and it's a, and studies are now showing that there's a correlation between that and postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety because if we are not supporting our body with all those nutrients and and we have these huge hormone drops, which is the largest hormone drop you'll ever experience is after giving birth, it's how are we fueling our body after that. And so I've seen so many people are like, I can't wait to pop the champagne and I can't wait to have a cheeseburger and do all this. But sure, you know, I, I get that. But our body just went through such a traumatic thing that we then have to start building back those supporting blocks through the food that we're eating because you just gave birth and now you're also about to start breast producing breast milk if you're choosing to breastfeed. And that's a whole other thing in itself too. So again, everything that you're consuming is going to that baby. And like you're, you have to be able to fill your sources of the vitamins and minerals that you need to be able to produce the amount of milk that you're going to need to sustain your baby's life. So the having... Recently, I've been talking with clients about like having like a diet plan afterwards or like a nutrition planner for some of the meals that they're going to eat. And um, there's a lot of different things that we can start incorporating to help support from those levels after birth. Yeah. And there's so many different things that can become depleted. And, you know, even with like anemia, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's iron, but sometimes it's even just like the copper or B vitamins Mm -hmm. that go along with it. Yep. And so it can be hard to nail down the exact cause of that. And do you maybe supplement with these or do you try to get them from your foods? Um, so again, like focusing on your diet is so important, but then I also work with, um, Karen, who's an amazing herbalist and she prepares. So we do a couple different things. So she'll make a sits bath for my clients, which is awesome to really like repair those tissues and the, case there was a tear or anything even if there wasn't a tear it's it's important to have um she also makes a tea blend so that's going to support 
tissue health, hormone balancing. So she incorporates a lot of different things into this. And then also we do an oat blend. So oats are great for milk production and she just adds in a lot of different things that are super supportive for that. So I usually introduce them to her and she has an amazing little care basket uh, for them as well. So Mm -hmm. to add that to already, you know, focusing on the diet. I love it because I think every episode of the show, it comes back to Karen, <laughs> Karen at some level. Karen brings everyone together. <laughs> if you don't know her, you need to know her. That's right. And she'll be glad to know you too. Yes. She can chalk the drywall. <laughs> so um, definitely check her out. And I love that she's putting some herbal blends together for you yeah, for that. It's amazing. And I think you've talked about earlier that depression afterwards can be a major thing from nutrients, mm-hmm. but it might also be from something else. Like maybe you don't have your child in with you and you're not carrying them with you, mm-hmm. you know, for anymore you know they're outside of you now yeah is there anything else that might go along with that depression that you might think of so i mean it is very overwhelming and i think that it's not talked about enough like the hard harder pieces of like what actually happens postpartum what happens when you bring that baby home um having a supportive partner is so key like kudos to all you moms out there that are doing it without a a partner because in those first few days, I mean, your feet, if you're breastfeeding, you're feeding every few hours, like you're, you are now been carrying this baby for nine months and now you're their source of food until you stop breastfeeding. So, um, really having somebody that can help, help you navigate that and just taking some time for you when you need it. Um, that's a huge thing, getting enough sleep. I, I mean, there will be a lack of sleep, but when you have a group of people around you that are supporting you, which in the past, like that, we didn't birth alone. We birthed like in a community with women and we had, you know, people that were bringing food over and helping with meal preparation and that were there to support for whatever was needed. Um, so just don't be afraid to ask for help because this is a huge transition and we're not meant to do it alone. And just having, you know, feeling like you've got people around you that get what you're going through a lot of times is, is huge. So, yeah, I think that community aspect's a big point about it. And I think we did traditionally have people bring us food and help take care of mm-hmm. us. And it was like you're raising a child as a community. Yeah, it takes a village. It truly does take a village. Yeah, so. yeah. And so we talked about nutrient depletions. But if someone had to go through um, a C-section, we said a vaginal swab might be an option to help get with those immune system. For the baby, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that they might consider like colostrum or probiotics as the feed that you maybe work with or anything? Um, so for the baby? Mm-hmm. So, well, the colostrum is the first form of milk that your body produces. So um, you can actually start pumping that prior to delivery. So a lot of my clients, if they're, they're using the breast pump at like 38 weeks. We start them on that um, just because it can help kick you into labor. It's not going to force you into labor if your body's not ready, but you can start harvesting that colostrum and you can freeze it and take that into the hospital too. So mm-hmm. if there's an event that baby isn't really getting a good latch, that's another thing. The stress that comes along with like, am I breastfeeding correctly? Is the baby getting enough? Like, how do we know? You're learning and your baby's learning. And so if you're working with a doula and a lactation consultant, it's just going to keep getting better. But having that colostrum is huge because then it just takes a couple drops. I mean, the baby's stomach is so, so tiny, especially in those first couple days, that having that kind of takes the stress off of like, if I don't feed right now, my baby doesn't have enough. So you can start pumping that and freeze that and take that with you to the hospital. Um, And that has a ton of the 
probiotics and stuff in it that is going to be crucial for your baby. So even if you don't continue to breastfeed, having that colostrum and giving that to your baby really does help set up a good gut biome from the get-go. And it's such an important source because even some mothers, you know, lactation is an issue. Mm -hmm. You can get colostrum from other animals as well. And that can sometimes be put into a breastfeeding formula for some of them. Um, and yeah, it's a huge nutrient rich, mm-hmm. um, milk huge. supply. Yeah. So I definitely would recommend people look into maybe alternative, mm-hmm. um, baby formulas yeah. rather than sometimes we have like these soy formulas that are yep. like sugar and other yep. stuff. Yeah. Pay it. attention to the ingredients that are in your formulas because a lot of what is out on the market right now is not great. Yeah. Not great. So I think we did every aspect of that. Is there anything that you want to add kind of there at the end to that whole encompassing thing that we just went over? Uh, that's we did a lot yeah, yeah, we talked a lot a yeah, lot yeah i think it's just you know it's a, a lot of different moving pieces so many and you have to do a lot of guesswork probably with the due dates and then also what other nutrient needs yeah and so it's probably a very intimate process and so you know you know if you guys are interested that are listening with working with lauren i definitely recommend it because she's a wealth of knowledge and mm-hmm. it sounds like it takes a lot of planning and prep work to get ready for it it does it does and you know having a doula to work with it's you think about like these professional athletes, you know, they, they want to perform their best and they're going into games and they don't go into games not having been coached prior to. It would be chaos. And that's what we see a lot with, you know, people going into it and they just, they just have no idea of what they can expect or like the support that could be provided and how it can just change things so drastically, even with like due dates. So mm. I say guest dates because depending on when you ovulated, it could be a week earlier or a week later. So if your doctor is coming to you and saying, Hey, we don't want to let you go past 40 weeks. If there's no medical reason, you know, usually that there's really not a good medical reason to induce. But if you didn't know that, you would say, oh, okay, I have to have this baby by 40 weeks. You may not be 40 weeks and your body is going to know when it's time. And you always have the right to question any decision, any suggestion that your provider is um, bringing to the table. So I think that that's super important. And a resource that I give to my clients is questions to ask your provider. So Mm. I'm giving that to them really early on. So we can figure out if this provider is actually in alignment with the type of birth and the type of care that they want. And people, I hear them say all the time, I can't change my provider. You can always change your provider. I mean, Mm. you, you, this has to be such a close, intimate relationship that you have to trust them and you want everybody on the same page. And when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. It's a team effort and you're supported and you have options. So I think that's an important last piece right there. I love that you brought that up because I know with my own mom, she went into labor and she didn't feel safe with the nurse that she was working with on staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, didn't feel safe. And so she didn't like, go through the birthing process mm-hmm. and they were getting really worried about her. And they switched nurses, and then boom, yep. I came out right away. And so that safety, that person that you're working with is a huge factor. It's a huge thing. And yeah, the environment too, talking about that, I um, like the lights turned on, all of the monitors on you, everything, like your body has to relax for mm-hmm. this baby to come out. And so the quieter you can keep the room, you keep the lights down, if you want to create a playlist that's like soothing, I mean... All of these things, it, you just have to think about, like, your body has to relax for this baby to come out. And if you are, like, concerned about your safety or 
or you have a nurse that you feel like is pushing you towards something or, you know, you're getting checks and there's threatening if you're not to this number by this time, we're going to have to look at this. That's not helpful. Your body is not going to relax because then you're trying to perform. Yeah. Birth is not a performance. No. I love it. I think you give people a lot of practical knowledge today. And there's one other area I want to touch on before we kind of wrap everything up. And that's energy work. Yeah. Because that can be an important component of this. So what does it mean to be a medium? And what is also Reiki for those that don't know? So um, a medium is, I've known from a very young age that I could feel other energies and that I was very in tune with um, things outside of myself on an energetic level. And the past couple years, I've really started to um, to work more with that. And so a medium is someone who is kind of a bridge to the other side or to the spiritual realm that I can channel messages through for, you know, different clients. And it's it's not for everyone. So I don't bring this into like every birth because there's some clients that are very open to energetic work and there's some clients that just aren't and which is totally fine. Um, but... Reiki is the process of moving energy in the body. And so like we talked about earlier, if you are having a lot of trauma or emotions that you've stored, we typically store certain things, certain places, and that starts manifesting as different physical ailments. So when I'm working with clients and doing Reiki, I'm just the channel to help move some of that energy. And a lot of times when we're moving that energy, you know, you can feel your shoulders relax. You can feel your nervous system start to regulate. Um, And if I'm in sessions with clients, like not in actual labor and delivery, a lot of times I can see what that's stemming from. And then that prompts a conversation to be like, okay, was this something that has happened like growing up? Does this make sense to you? And then it kind of opens that door for that conversation to start to really to dig into why this may be manifesting. Because at the end of the day, we are the way we are. A lot of times based on the trauma that we've been through and the programming that we've been um, inundated with. So it's, you know, if you have a pattern and you don't understand why you keep reacting that way, there's usually something in your childhood or, you know, in your teenage years, or it could be something that you've watched your parents do that isn't really your story, but you've just held on to it because that's what was needed to survive. So a lot of it is survival instincts. And so when we can get to the root of why we are doing something or why we feel that way, we can then look at it, we can love on it, and we can release it. And then we can form our own opinion and our own viewpoints on how we should move forward. Wow, that's great. Because I think a big part of growing up is kind of like accepting your your childhood, mm-hmm. maybe the trauma experience, and then also maybe in a way a disillusion of, you know, your parent, they're also a human being, yeah. they're flawed. And, you know, as wonderful as a lot of childhoods are, there are some things that come up. Yeah, and it's important to recognize that. And I think energy work can be something that you provide that can mm-hmm. help aid in that process. Yeah. And, and it, go ahead. It's interesting because we talk about pain. And yeah. so we are so um, conditioned to believe that pain is a bad thing. So most of us don't want to feel pain. Mm-hmm. Anytime we start to feel uncomfortable, we shy away from it. And that's where, you know, we turn to these external things. So, you know, the drinking, um, you know, ex- eating, binge eating, there's a number of things and it doesn't have to just be like drugs or alcohol or whatnot. It's your coping mechanism because you don't feel comfortable with how you're feeling. And so when we can get to a place with clients where we can embrace that pain and actually feel it and set up a an environment where they feel comfortable working through it, then we move that pain. And it's it, it then you start to see the beauty in pain because you can release it and not all pain is like bad. Like on the other side of pain is 
the majority of the time something really beautiful. And if Knowledge, we were just yeah. able to free ourselves from that pain, it's amazing what opens up. I think some people are sometimes resistant to energy work because it conflicts with maybe their viewpoint of a God mm-hmm. or religion. You know, is, to you, is God the same thing as energy or how does that manifest for you? So how I view it is, I mean, I think we are all are having an experience mm-hmm. and it, God is coming through us. So we are God in a sense. We are here in a physical form like with our free will and our free choices living out every day. And I think that to not know God is to not really know yourself because a lot of us don't know our higher selves or our, or how to tune into like our intuition and our knowingness. And, and that I think is like a direct chain to God, to the universe. So I kind of use them in like, I switch out those terms a lot. Um, And I'm not by any means like claiming to be, uh, I mean, in the Bible, there's multiple instances of like, you know, healing with different modalities and all of this stuff. And I think it just comes back to, um, you know, what is your, what do you believe and what mm-hmm. makes you feel good and how do you tune into that? And are you basing your beliefs off of other people or, or other organizations? And I just want people to start feeling and entrusting themselves because that's where it starts because the relationship with God, the universe, whatever, it starts with you. Yeah. And so that's a really important piece yeah i think it's a good thing to bring up because i think there's a lot of people that turn away from energy work Mm because they they feel like it challenges that in some way and it's unfortunate because there's things like um they have skills like adverse child experience scales and it shows that kids that go through a lot of more like um, traumatic experiences as a child have more chances for things like obesity cardiovascular Mm -hmm. disease yeah and energy work can heal a lot of that but then when you realize that you know you're more than just this flesh suit and that yeah. is an important thing. And there's an, a reason and a purpose that you can tap into. Yeah. I think that can be really encouraging to sometimes get out of those adverse experiences. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, you know, we, then we start talking about like therapy. Um, I think therapy is great. I mm-hmm. think that it is so important to have someone that you can talk to, but a lot of times with that therapy, you know, if you're going in for just like a session a week, you're peeling off all these layers and then you're digging up the trauma and then you're walking out the door and you don't have any other way of really like day to day looking at these triggers, looking at some of the stuff and incorporating energy work or like plant medicines, which I'm a huge fan of with therapy allows you to hit all aspects of it because it's not just about talking. Like we can talk all day, but then if we can't tap in to like crying or screaming or expressing some of the stuff, which could take years for you to get to with a, just talk therapy alone. Um, I think it's so important to have a practitioner that can help you and guide you through that. Because again, we're not doing the work. You're doing the work. We're just setting up an environment where you feel safe and giving you guidance on how to tap into some of that stuff. So I think that it's amazing when it's um, done the right way and when you're working with a practitioner that knows what they're doing. Yeah, therapy can be an important thing, you know, bringing the unconscious to the conscious. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think you know, psychologists like Freud and like maybe even Young. Mm-hmm. I think Young brought that up a lot of times. Our archetypal patterns and um, yeah, our unconscious playing a role with especially dream work. Oh, every our subconscious is everything. Yeah. Yep. And you know, I think when I was first getting into energy work, meditation was a big part for me mm-hmm. that allowed me to sit down and tap into something that was in me, but also outside of me. Yes huge is there something that maybe inspired you to feel that at first or are there things that you found can help be a gateway if someone's like i'm interested in energy work but how do i even start to feel that myself 
Yeah, I think meditation is a great way, a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And then with that, it's like just don't put any expectations on it. Yeah. Just because you've just got to let your thoughts run wild. And for the first time, few times that you do it, it won't be quiet because you're not used to sitting. Mm-hmm. How often do we just sit quietly with not on our phone, not with the radio on, nothing? People do that for a couple minutes and then they get anxious because they have never taken the time to be with themselves. So I would say it's a process and like just commit to it, even if it's five minutes a day to start out with. Start there. And then as you get further into it, I probably should take more time just meditating like that. But now I found running for me. You can meditate anywhere. It's just mm-hmm. a mindset of switching in. And I have so much clarity when I run and so many downloads. And it's just, it's such a, I like to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and it can be different for everyone. But I think that starting there is huge because then you're you're just able to clear out some of that clutter to be able to see maybe what you haven't been able to see or understand before. Yeah, and I think that's an important piece that it can look different to many different people. Because mm-hmm. the goal is to just bring conscious awareness yeah. to daily activities and whatever helps you tap into God or energy or source, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, yeah. can be that unique thing to you. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're coming up on the end here. We always ask the guests kind of as a closing thing, what are the three recommendations that you you know give to someone? It could be male or female mm-hmm. for this that you feel like would really help to get them on a good path for health. Yeah. So going back to like what we just talked about, I think that making a daily commitment to yourself to spend, whether that's five minutes, whether that's 30 minutes to just unplug and sit with yourself to maybe journal, meditate. I think that's so important because we get so caught up in like what we should be doing that we don't ever just be. Mm-hmm. So carve out, carve out 30 minutes of time to do nothing. Or if there's something that you want to do, do it. Um, because a lot of times we're not doing that either. And that's where we kind of start stifling our inner child. And then if you're not doing things just because you love to do them, you kind of forget what joy is like. You forget what, yeah. So I think that that's so important. Um, and another huge thing is just like your emotions when oftentimes, like if there's situations where we feel like we want to cry, we stop because we, we feel like we can't. And then what happens is you get to a point like me where I couldn't cry for like three or four months. I would try to cry. And it's like, what is happening? Mm. And it takes some time to like really be able to like break and go into that because you're so afraid to lose control. So I think my other, my second one is to just pay attention to your emotions as they come up and honor them. Mm. And that is very strange to do at first. Um, But then it's amazing how much you start moving and how quickly you move through things rather than like holding on to it. Um, like whether it's grief or anger or frustration and, and, you know, just feel your emotions to the extent of which they need to be felt. And then the last thing is food is so important. And I know we've preached on it a lot, but getting back to eating as many whole foods as you can, even if it's just starting, you know, making a grocery list and maybe doing some meal prep or like eliminating fast food or just whatever feels like a good place to start. As long as you start, it's going to continue to like roll because you're going to feel better and better. But getting back to as many whole foods from the earth as possible is is so key to so many different elements, not even just like the nutritional value, but the spiritual, all of it, because it's it, everything is energy. Yes. Everything. Well, I love it. That's great recommendations. And if someone is really vibing with a lot of the information that you're 
presenting, how can they keep track of what you're doing? Yeah. So I am on Instagram. Um, Guided Connections is the business name, but then I'm also on there as M-L-C-R-U-M. Uh, so I operate on both of those right now. And then you could also find me at theguidedconnections.com. And I'm on Facebook as well. And are there anything that like are maybe coming up that you're excited about? I know you maybe have some trainings coming up or yeah. that you're looking forward to. Yeah, I have um, an herbal class in September that I'm going to be learning more about uh, different natural herbs to help induce labor and some things because if we can get away from this synthetic induction as much as possible. I would love to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm actually starting in September as well. um, Another wonderful program that this doula has created. And she was also a physical therapist and she's just really combined like how we can manipulate muscles in our body and the pelvis and everything to create a smooth birth. So I'm going to be diving into a little bit more training on that. That sounds awesome. Well, Lauren, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show and helping to support the Waking Any podcast, but also just help women in general and like maybe the issues that might be coming up for them and maybe even their partner. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. I think what you're doing for the community is amazing and people are going to have a lot more um, tools in their toolkit to reach out to now because it's it's kind of like a secret community until you get into it. You know, you really, it's like, where do I, where do I get the access? And so now that you're making it so people like know who these members of the community are and it's amazing. Yeah. I remember for myself, it was almost like I gotta leave Indiana because there's no one cool here yeah. that's doing this stuff. And now I'm like, well, shit, they were here the whole yeah, time. It's like, where's my tribe? I know. And that's tribes an important yeah. thing. So meet Karen because she's really great <laughs> at introducing you to other tribe members. You meet Karen. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Lauren. Thank you so much. Peace. There's a lot to unpack there. And I think Lauren did a great job of taking us through the whole birthing process and even offering some extra ideas to consider. So if any part of that was daunting in any way, I would definitely recommend scheduling someone with Lauren. She's one of the best in the community around that. And she occasionally has openings. And this is just a friendly reminder that you know, Lauren that was on the show today and any previous guests, as well as Dr. Lauren and myself, the co-hosts, um, we are open for consults and we're anxious to help in any way that we can. Um, Lauren, she mentioned on the show, that's kind of like a secret community and we're here to kind of bust that open and connect everyone. So if you have questions or would like to connect with the podcast, please email us at podcast at georgetownmarket.com. We'll see you next time.